Welcome to everybody in person. Welcome to everybody online. This is such an exciting moment for, for all of us here who are part of the church family. Well, I want to uh, start off by sharing with you another exciting thing. I learned uh, a new word this week, and I want to share it with you. It's the word contronym. Everyone say contronym. Ah, I love it. I love the response. That's what I was looking for. But yeah, contronym is a new word I learned this week, and contronym is a, both a homonym and an antonym. What does that mean? Well, in plain English, it's basically two words that sound alike but are totally different. Two words that sound alike but are totally different. Let me give you some examples. For example, the word dust. Dust. You can dust a shelf to remove tiny little particles off of the shelf, or you can dust a cake with powdered sugar and add tiny particles to that cake, to dust, right? How about the word strike? When you hit something right on target and you nail it right on target, you strike it. And yet in baseball, when you completely miss the, the ball, what, what is that? Strike, right? That's a contronym. How about the word fix? You have a broken vase. You want to put it back together. To repair it, you fix the vase. How about if you fix a dog, right? You're, you're the opposite, right? That's a, that's a contronym. And these days, we, we actually created a contronym, the, the word literally. Because the word literally can mean actually, as in last night, I literally had to ask my kids three times to brush their teeth before they went to bed. Yet these days, we make the word literally something exaggerative. Like, I literally asked them a thousand times to brush their teeth before they went to bed. We've made it into a contronym. Well, today I want to share with you a word. I want to share with you paradise. I want to talk about paradise today. See, because you could gamble with a paradise, or you could be absolutely certain about paradise. I'm telling today's message, Paradise versus Paradise. And we are in this series called Last Words. Last week, Pastor Gary gave us one of the last utterances of Jesus as he hung on the cross. And there are seven things that Jesus said in his final moments. And last week, we saw how Jesus cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today, I want to give you the second of seven, and it comes from Luke chapter 23. Verses 39 to 43, so if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, go ahead and turn to Luke 23, verse 39 to 43. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to reveal it to us, okay? So it goes like this, in verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Would you underline that last utterance of Jesus Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that in this very hour you would speak 
to us. Every single person here in this room or watching online, listening to this message, God, speak to us. I pray that you would give us certainty, that you would give us great assurance of the paradise that you offer for anyone who believes. God, I pray that there would be no doubt about it. And God, maybe, maybe we've come to know you already and we're walking with you. Give us great affirmation of what is true. I pray that if maybe there's somebody who's listening who has never come to know you or what you've done for them, I pray that today, today they would be with you, that they would experience you, that they would put their trust in you. So Lord, speak to us now, God. We, we look forward to you opening up our eyes and our hearts to what you have to say through your word. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. I love it. Amen. So here in the final hours, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, beside him are two criminals, two thieves worthy of the death penalty. Both are sinners, both are criminals, both are worthy of death. And both of them essentially call out to Jesus, save me, save me. And yet only one of the two actually gets saved. Apparently there's a big difference between save me and save me. Let me show you the difference. They sound alike, but can be totally different. So the first criminal is here, and he's hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And in verse 39, he says to Jesus in a mocking voice, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And what this criminal is doing, he's basically being a copycat, right? Because Luke, earlier in this passage, actually talks about how the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus and said, Jesus, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And he's copying the, the, the earlier passage where there's these religious rulers who in the same mocking voice said, Jesus, if you're the Christ, save yourself. And so here, this criminal is hanging on the cross and in the same fashion, he goes along with the grain, and he says, if you are the Christ, then go ahead, save yourself and us. And he throws in this, this, this last part that the religious rulers and the Roman soldiers didn't have, but he adds in, and us, and us. Now, he could have been purely mocking Jesus, like not an ounce in him could have, might, might not have believed that Jesus really was a Christ totally mocking him, or maybe there was something in him that thought, who knows, like maybe he might truly be the Christ. And it's almost like he's saying, like, if, if, you're, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us, if you're actually going to go through with it. If, if you're really going to carry through, then, then throw me in there too. Save us. It's kind of like I uh, got this message in my inbox recently, and uh, it was telling me, Greg, you just won our special drawing, and you get a free $90 pair of mountain biking goggles, and all you have to do is click on this link, and this is the actual inbox thing I got. Just click on this link, and I read this. I go, yeah, right. I didn't sign up for any raffle or drawing for mountain biking goggles. I, I don't even follow your Instagram page. I'm like, yeah, right. What a scam. But let me just click on the link just in case. <laughs> Maybe there's some truth to this. I clicked on the link, and it's true. Like, I got a free pair of goggles. And so 
maybe this, this criminal is saying, yeah, right, if you're the Christ, save yourself. But if you're going to do it, save us too. Now, I don't know. I admit that's totally speculation. There's nothing in the scriptures that tell us one way or the other. But if there was any part of him that thought maybe he is the Christ and maybe he can save us, it doesn't seem that this guy is asking Jesus to save him because he loves Jesus. I would guess that he's just saying that because he would just simply want to get off the cross and be saved from death. He didn't care who Jesus was. He's just looking for an opportunity to get off the cross. And it's as if salvation that Jesus offers is merely reduced to fire insurance. How many of us have ever looked at salvation or understood the gospel to be simply that fire insurance where it's just simply saving us from the fires of hell? Is that how you understand the gospel? Is that how you understand salvation? Fire insurance? Now, speaking of insurance, uh, last Sunday... Uh, actually, last Saturday, I was uh, with my friend Dale. He's in my life group, and we were together. And Monica calls me on the phone, and I put it on speakerphone. And so she, she says to me, she says, she says, Greg, my tire's almost completely flat, and, and the, the, the dashboard in my car is telling me I'm low on pressure. What should I do? And she says, do you think I can make it all the way to Long Beach? I've really got to get to Long Beach in time. Do you think I can make it if I drive on it? Should I try to find a gas station or should I try to find a Costco? What should I do? And and we're trying to figure out what to do. And my friend Dale, as he's listening to this conversation, he chimes in. Now, what do you think my friend Dale asks when he hears about my wife stranded on the roadside needing assistance? What do you think he asks? He says, do you have AAA? Right? Isn't that what we all ask if you hear about someone hanging on the side of the road, needing assistance, needing to be rescued or saved? You ask, do you have AAA? Why? Because AAA saves the day, amen? AAA saves the day. Well, well, here, this second thief is left hanging, not on the side of the road, but on the cross. And he's needing to be rescued. He's needing to be saved. And whereas the other criminal may have looked at Jesus as merely fire insurance, the second thief turns to AAA. What do I mean by that? Well, he admitted, he acknowledged, and he asks. He admitted, he acknowledged, and he asked. Let me show you from the scriptures. Let me take you verse by verse. First of all, he admitted his sinfulness. In verse 40 and 41, he, he's mocking Jesus, right? The, the other criminal is mocking Jesus. And then this other thief on the cross says in verse 40, The other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he's saying to this other criminal as he's mocking Jesus, look, we deserve this. He doesn't. We're sinners. He's holy. We should be here. He shouldn't. And he is admitting his own sin. And in, in so doing, he's acknowledging Jesus' innocence. But he doesn't stop there because after he admits his own sin, what does he do? He acknowledges his sovereignty. He acknowledges Jesus' sovereignty, that he's a king, that he's a ruler. See, the soldiers mock Jesus, and they put a sign sarcastically on top of Jesus' head on that cross saying, King of the Jews, 
king of the Jews. And yet this thief on the cross has come to believe, no, I, I, I think he really is a king. Like he's a ruler. And he says in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you get into your kingdom. He's acknowledging that Jesus is going to assume a throne, that he's about to reign in sovereignty and power, and in acknowledging his sovereignty, what's he also doing in that verse 42? He's also also asking for salvation. He's asking for mercy. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, Jesus, I believe this is not the end of your story. And I don't think this has to be the end of my story either. I believe that after this cross, you are going to sit on your throne. You're going to reign in power. You're going to rule in glory. And when you do, when you reign in your kingdom, will you remember me? Will you welcome me in to the kingdom? He's asking for mercy. He's asking for salvation. So AAA, he admits his sinfulness. He acknowledges Jesus' sovereignty. He asks for salvation. And so both criminals, in essence, in one way or the other, are saying, save me. Save me. But where the first one was more like, save me and take me down from here, the other one was more like, save me and take me up from here. The other one was, get me off this cross so I could live on and enjoy my life. And the thief on the cross on the other side was, Save me, take me up with you so I can enjoy you forever. And among Jesus' last words on the cross, he turns to that thief, worthy of the death penalty. And in verse 43, he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. That's the story. I want to share with you two takeaways from this story. And I, I hope you would write this down somewhere. But two important takeaways. The first is this. It is never too late. It's never too late. Now here's something really interesting. If you, if you look at Matthew's account and, and Mark's account of this same story, they talk about how both criminals mocked Jesus. Did you notice that? Let me show you. Matthew chapter 27 verse 44 says, And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. (laughs) What? Did we just find a discrepancy in the scriptures? Did we just find a contradiction among the gospels? Is the Bible errant? And I argue no. I don't think so at all. I think both Matthew and Luke are recording the facts at different times in the day, at different moments as they hung on the cross. And I'm convinced that something happened within that window of time in one of those criminals' hearts. Something happened deep inside that sinner's life. What happened? Like, what happened? Well, we learned last week, right, from Pastor Gary, that while they were hanging on the cross, Jesus said something that was simply outrageous and totally ridiculous as Jesus hung dying on the cross. As the religious rulers mocked Jesus, and as the, as the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus, and as both criminals mocked Jesus, Jesus is hanging there in his final 
moments, in his final breaths, he cries out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Show them mercy, for they know not what they do. And I believe that outrageous and ridiculous request from Jesus must have done something so powerful. And one of those thieves that it caused him to change his mind and change his heart about this guy. This guy is not normal. This guy is not of the flesh. This guy has ridiculous mercy. And where is that coming from? And something happens inside his heart. And at the 11th hour of his life, something turned on that changed his mind and reversed his heart. And so, friends, I want to say to you, it is never too late for a heart to be changed. It's never too late. So I want to challenge you, Christian, would you keep praying for, keep talking to, keep inviting along, keep testifying before, keep talking to that person in your life who does not know Jesus yet. Don't stop. Don't give up. And as you do so, we realize at the end of the day, it is not our words that change a person's heart. It is not our eloquence or our wisdom that changes a soul. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It is the power of God's spirit to illuminate truth and illuminate understanding in someone's heart. It is God who's going to change the soul. That's grace. And so Paul understood this. Right in 1 Corinthians 3, he understood grace. In verses 6 and 7, he says, I planted the seeds, right? Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so he knew his role. And yes, yeah, true, sometimes it'll be through your words. Sometimes it's going to be through a timely sermon. Sometimes it's going to be through sucky circumstances. But every time, it will be by the Spirit of God. Every time a soul's change, it will be by the grace of God. And so I say to you, it is never too late for the grace of God to change your heart. And you might have shared with that person a thousand times. A thousand times to help a person know Jesus. Go for a thousand and one. Don't you stop. For it's never too late. Because you never know when the Spirit of God is going to flip the switch and turn on the lights. Just as he did for that thief who died in the 11th hour in the last minute yet he found Jesus I want to show you a picture of Luis Palau who much like Billy Graham was an evangelist who preached the gospel to millions of people around the world he preached the gospel to millions and there was one in a million named Andrew Palau it was his son And Andrew talks about how he grew up going to church. He grew up in the Palau household. He heard the gospel a thousand times. He grew up traveling with mom and dad, going to their crusades. He grew up knowing about how I was a sinner and Jesus died to blah, 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 blah. Like he's heard it before. And yet like many ministers' kids, many kids in general, 
He fell in love with the world and he chased after the things that the world chased after. He wanted to be accepted by friends at school. He wanted to, he wanted to go and find himself in the party scenes. He wanted to drive drunk as he shares stories about getting drunk and wrecking cars. And he admits that by the time he got to college, he was just trying to win approval from the frat brothers. He said for over 14 years of his life, he tried to pursue things apart from Jesus. And yet he shares how his father, Luis Palau, throughout all that time, never stopped sharing about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, Dad just kept talking to me, lovingly, graciously, gently, but he kept talking to me. He, he, he would walk me down the street and, and tell me, yeah, the world has a lot of fun to offer you. But there's only one who wants to give you the abundant life. That's eternal, and that's Jesus. Luis Palau, his dad, would write letters to his son, explaining the gospel once again. And he said, when I turned 27 years old, I'm a grown man now, I'm 27 years old, and mom and dad were about to go to Jamaica to preach at another crusade. And mom and dad invited me to Kingston, Jamaica to go with them. I knew what they were doing. I knew what they were doing. They were at it again, trying to expose me to Jesus, and he thought, I would love a trip to Jamaica. There's great marlin fishing down there. I'd love to go marlin fishing, and so he goes down to, to do his marlin fishing, but that night when they held the crusade in Kingston, Jamaica, he said he went and he sat as part of the crowd. He says, I heard the gospel a thousand times, but you know, he said, he says, sometimes when you're sitting there, it feels like God is talking directly to you. He said, that night, it was like God was speaking to me. Dad was preaching about the young, rich ruler. He says, I ain't rich, and I'm not a ruler over anything, but it was like God was speaking to me. My, my dad's mouth was moving. Words were coming out, but it wasn't dad. It was, it was God speaking to me, and that night, though I've heard it a thousand times, something turned on, and something happened inside of my heart, and that night, I decided, I want Jesus. I want Jesus, and that night he surrendered his life, fully surrendered to Christ. Today, Andrew Palau has carried on the ministry of his father and now preaches to millions around the world. I say, friends, it is never too late for a heart to be changed, so don't stop sharing Jesus, even if it takes a thousand times. It's not your job to turn on the lights in a person's heart. It's not. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He'll do that. That's the grace of God. But you never know how God may want to use your seed or use your water to grow the fruit and to produce the, to the growth in a person's heart. So you may have a loved one who is entering into hospice. It's never too late. You might have a kid who's about to go off to college, it's never too late. You might have a spouse who you've been married to for over 20 years who thinks God is a joke and just mocks Jesus. Every time you go to church, I want to say it is never too late. And you might have a loved one in a coma who's losing their mind to dementia. And I want to say, don't stop whispering Jesus into their ears and telling them the gospel of his grace. It is never too late. You never know how God will want to turn on the lights and speak to a soul. 
and change your heart. Don't give up. And though Luke records this was the sixth hour as they hung on the cross. It was the sixth hour in the day. We know is the 11th hour in that man's life. Yet in the 11th hour at the last minute, Jesus turned to him because he saw his faith and he said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. It's never too late for a heart to be changed. Wait, hold up. But hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did the dude ever get baptized? Nope. Well, did he give offering to the church? Did he tithe? Like, how much did he give? Not a dime. Okay, well, he must have been a good person, right? Maybe he, he helped the needy. Nope, he jacked them. Okay, okay, maybe he was part of a nonprofit organization and he helped to save lives. No, according to tradition, he took lives, including his brothers. Okay, so where is he? paradise the eternal garden of God the presence of Jesus and I'm wondering if any of us right now think how in the world is that fair that he should hold out to the last minute of his life living the way he did and he gets paradise how is that fair and I want to say it's not it's not it's grace And grace isn't fair. Grace goes to those undeserving. It's not fair. It's grace. See, Luke could have left this detail. He could have left these verses out of the scriptures. He could have been like Matthew and Mark and just left it at these two guys, mocked them and reviled them, and then moved on to the real story. Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And yet why in the world did the Holy Spirit grab a hold of Luke's heart and his hand and have him write down this story of a man who was sinful and yet had his heart radically transformed in the 11th hour? Why in the world did the Holy Spirit want to make an example of this man? who had nothing to offer the world, who had no contribution to society, who did absolutely nothing for Jesus, who had no credentials, no credibility, no contribution, who didn't spend a single 24-hour period of his life worshiping God, and yet he gets paradise. Why in the world did the Holy Spirit want to make an example of him? Because in him, we have the clearest picture of this gospel of grace. I believe we have the clearest picture of a man who did absolutely nothing and yet got paradise. The clearest gospel of grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast not a result of works not a result of baptism not a result of leading a ministry not a result of going to confession not a result of community service not a result of praying your hail marys not a result of any work but purely by the grace of god because of your faith and so the question that maybe you've asked before, maybe you've heard somebody ask before, then if, if that's true, then why don't we just wait to the end of our life and just wait till my deathbed and live it up, live the way I want to, then at the last minute, ask 
Jesus to come in. Why not pull out the AAA card at the last minute and then admit my sin, acknowledge sovereignty, and then ask for salvation then and then get saved in the nick of time if, if this guy got to do it. And I want to say really briefly, we know that's a gamble. That's like rolling a pair of dice because you don't know if you're even going to make it out of this room. You don't even know if you're going to be able to sleep tonight. It's a gamble. I don't even want to spend time talking about that. We all know it's a gamble if that's how you're thinking. But here's what I want to share with you as my last takeaway truth today. I want to say to you that even though it's never too late for a heart to be changed, it is never too soon for you to give your heart to Jesus. Would you write that down? It's never too late to give your heart to Jesus. And at the same time, it is never too soon to give your heart to Jesus. That day, that thief was with Jesus in paradise. Can you imagine that? Like in a moment, you're hanging in excruciating pain. The next moment, you're in perfect paradise with Jesus. And as he's standing there with Jesus in relationship with him, beholding him face to face, experiencing his glory, I'm pretty sure that thief wasn't like, oh, I'm so glad I held out on knowing you, Jesus. Like I'm so glad that I got to live the way I wanted to live and then at the last moment then got to know you. I'm pretty sure the thief isn't like, like, this is great, like knowing you and standing before you, but I'm glad I got to live the life of a thief and a, and a criminal. I'm glad I got to live my life on the run. I'm glad I got to rob people and intimidate people and make enemies all around me. I'm glad I got to chase after these things of the world only to find that it can never satisfy me. I'm glad I got to harm others, inflict pain, and rob people of life. I'm pretty sure that's not what he's thinking as he meets Jesus. I'm willing to bet he's more like, Jesus, like why didn't I, why didn't I know you sooner? Like, man, if, if only I knew you earlier, if only if I said yes to you in, in my youth. And I think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. If he had a chance, I'm willing to bet he would love to go back to earth and say, if I could just go back to the people on earth right now and say, today, choose Jesus today. It is worth it today. Don't wait. It is never too soon to say yes to Jesus. You don't want to regret this. Say yes today. It reminds me of Pascal's wager. Any of you guys know of Blaise Pascal? He was a mathematician, a philosopher, a theologian. And, and, and Pascal's wager says basically his bets are on living as if God exists because he believes that living such a life has everything to gain and nothing to lose. Right? So let, let me try to illustrate it for you so, so you can understand a little bit more of what Pascal's wager says. He says there, there's, there's odds, right, either for you or against you. And he says, we can live like God doesn't exist. And we live like God doesn't exist. And at the end of your life, you find out he really doesn't exist. And you've really lost nothing. Right? You, it's a wash. I mean, maybe you lived for yourself. You chased after things, never attained it. But it's a wash. Nothing happens. But he says, but if you live like God doesn't exist, and then at the end of your life, you find out he really does exist. Oh, man. That's eternal hell. That's everlasting torment. That's excruciating agony and suffering. 
that is the worst case scenario for you. And if you live like God doesn't exist, you don't believe in God, you're like rolling dice. That's a gamble. But he says on the flip side, if you live like God does exist and you believe in God, and you live like you believe in God, and then you find out at the end of your life that he really does exist, that's the ultimate win, right? Eternal heaven. That's eternal bliss. That's infinite joy in heaven. That's paradise. That's paradise. And he says, and if it turns out that you live like he exists, you believe in him, but he really doesn't, then you really lost nothing. You lost nothing. But it's, it's actually kind of good that you lived a life that strived to love others and be kind and bring grace and joy and peace to the world. That's not, that's not a bad life. So it's kind of like a win-win. And so in essence, Pascal's wager is him saying, I'm placing my bets on God being real because the odds of winning by living like he exists is so much greater than living like he doesn't exist. So that's Pascal's wager. And it's a, it's a great argument in many ways, in many ways. But in all due respect to Pascal, here's where it falls short. See, I don't believe we need to wager or gamble on anything. We don't really need to wait to the end of our life to find out if he really exists or not. I believe that we can know now. And see, I, I, I believe that waiting to the end of our lives to see if we could try to make it into paradise at the 11th hour, at the last minute, I think it misses the essence of paradise. It completely misses the point of the gospel. What is the essence? Let me give you two words. With me. Jesus said, with me. He said to the thief on the cross in verse 43, today you will be with me me in paradise. I think the emphasis there is with me. And I believe we can know today if God really exists. We could know now. We don't have to wait till the end of our lives. We can know if God is real and if heaven is real. If we walk with Jesus today, we can know joy in our pain. We can know peace in our pain. We can know sanctification from our sins. We can see mourning turn into dancing. We can see comfort in our hurt and hope in our hurt. We can see evidence of the real power of God if we give our hearts to Jesus today. We don't have to wait. See, Jesus is the essence of paradise. I'm going to close with this. John Piper asked this very important question. He asked this very important question, and here's what he said. Now think about this. If you could have heaven... If you could have paradise with no sickness, with all the friends you've ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with that heaven if Christ were not there? Would you want it? That's a trick question. That's a trick question because heaven isn't heaven without Jesus. Heaven is hell without Jesus. So how in the world could anybody truly say, I want to spend eternity with Jesus if you don't want Jesus today? 
you want to wait to the 11th hour of your life, then I don't think you really want Jesus. How can we truly say we want eternity with Jesus if we don't want Jesus today? Because if that's the way you look at it, then you're really a lot like the criminal on the cross who minimized salvation to fire insurance. The absence of pain, the absence of torment, the absence of agony, the absence of hell. That's all Jesus is to you. And yet the second thief on the cross got it. That paradise is not merely the absence of of hell. It is. But paradise in very nature is the presence of King Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. God is the good news. It's knowing Jesus now. It's growing with Jesus today. It's enjoying Jesus today and forevermore. So friends, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait to the 11th hour. Choose Jesus today or else you've missed the essence of the gospel. And if you admit your sin, if you acknowledge his sovereignty, if you ask for salvation, then Jesus would look upon you and he would look upon you and he would look upon you and he would look upon you and say, today, today you will be with me in paradise. And paradise will have nothing to do with gambling. Paradise will be an absolute certainty for all who believe. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow your head and, and pray with me? And as, as we have our heads bowed here in the room and there in your living room or wherever you're watching this from, we have an example of this thief on the cross who admitted his sin, acknowledged, acknowledged Jesus' sovereignty, that he's king, and asked for salvation, asked for mercy. And I want to give you a chance right now, whether you've heard this a thousand times before, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. Choose Jesus today. It's never too soon. It's never too late. But today is the day that salvation has been made known to you. And so if that's you, and you're hearing this, and something inside of you, maybe it's God speaking directly to you, and, and there's like a light that's just turned on. Like Andrew Palau at, at that that crusade just decided, I want Jesus. I want to surrender my life. I want, to, I want to lead you into a prayer right now. A very simple prayer of faith. The Bible says, faith is what saves you. And pray something like this. Father God, I admit that I'm not innocent. That I've done many things that are wrong, that probably disappoint you. So I admit I'm a sinner. I also admit that you were innocent when you hung on the cross. And I acknowledge that you are king, that you're not dead, you're surely alive. That after that cross, you went to to the grave, but after the grave, you went to heaven. And I believe you're, you're a king. And so I ask that you would welcome me into your kingdom. Would you save me from my sin? Would you forgive me for what I've done? And help me to live the rest of my life from today on and forevermore as if you were my king. Help me to be your servant. 
and teach me more and more from this day forward what that looks like, how to live like that. But I thank you today for your love and your grace. Now, if you prayed that prayer, as your eyes are closed, I want to invite you to let us know. Maybe you're watching online. Let us know in the chat if you prayed that prayer. We'd love to connect with you and, and get you connected to start growing in your new faith. If you're here present and, and that's you, let us know. We'd love to talk more with you, get you a Bible, and start walking with you as well. But Lord, we thank you so much. You are the reason why we gather. You're the reason why we worship. And it's your name we sing and pray. Amen.